This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Wednesday, January the 18th, 2023. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, Tyler McGregor from Canada's para ice hockey team tells you about this year's Sledge Skate of Hope. People across Ontario are remembering former Lieutenant Governor David Onley. Megan Gilmore, accessibility reporter, will share some of her reflections. And Arno Kopecki has thoughts on the recent UN Biodiversity Conference in Montreal and the uh, emerging conflicting story between the importance of biodiversity and building houses. That and so much more coming your way over the course of the next couple of hours on the mighty airwaves of AMI-tv. But the show begins with the top story of the day. And there's some analysis to share from yesterday's inflation numbers in Canada. Inflationary pressures continued to ease with an 0.5% drop month over month. CIBC Executive Director of Economics, Karine Charbonneau, thinks that even though inflation is coming down, the Bank of Canada will use other factors to justify raising its interest rates. The, the jobs report that, that we got was really, really strong with a tight labor market with the unemployment rate just one tick above the all-time low. I, I think that's probably what they're looking at. Inflation came in largely as expected, so don't think it's going to change their mind, today's report. Food inflation remained high at 11% year-over-year. Economists say that that food inflation will take longer to subside than other overall inflationary pressures. Catherine Charbonneau explains that food prices are still higher than economic forecasts. With uh, world commodity, like agricultural prices coming down, we had hoped to see more of a deceleration. I think what's going on here is that a lot of what we buy in stores is heavily transformed and there's been pressures all along the the, the chain, right? So from workers uh, having higher wages to transportation costs to all kinds of things that have fed through. David McDonald with the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives lays out how heavily tied food inflation is to other global factors. In terms of the, uh, you know, gasoline and food prices, which are things that consumers buy a lot of, they're not very sensitive to interest rates. They don't, interest rates doesn't affect them because we don't buy them with big loans. Some of those global factors include famine risks abroad, and World Food Program Executive Director David Beasley is at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. He's emphasizing the possibility that millions of people could be facing famine conditions. The number has now jumped from 276 million people to 350 million people marching to starvation, not knowing where the next meal is coming from, because Ukraine alone grew enough food to feed 400 million people. So that's the inflation and food security part of the story. But there's another rumbling factor when it comes to the overall economic picture, and that's a struggle around funding the U.S. government. Political rhetoric between Republicans and Democrats is heating up as the U.S. federal government approaches its debt ceiling. Karen Travers has the latest. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre Tuesday criticized a plan that House Republicans are reportedly considering to deal with the government reaching its debt ceiling, a plan that would prioritize some payments while stopping others. Uh, this is not a plan. It is a recipe for economic catastrophe. As President Biden has made clear, Congress must deal with the debt limit and must do so without conditions. Jean-Pierre again saying there should be no, quote, hostage taking. Last week, she said the White House would not negotiate over this critical issue. Karen Travers, ABC News, the White House. It is truly remarkable how difficult America makes democracy. Coming back to Canada and foreign affairs, Defence Minister Anita Anand is in Kiev, Ukraine. Anand announced Canada is going to spend $90 million to buy 200 armoured vehicles from an Ontario company to give to the Ukrainian military. Last week, Anand announced Ottawa would be providing an American-made air defence system to Ukraine. 
And another related story for the war in Ukraine. The chief of Ukraine's national police says a helicopter crash in an eastern suburb of Kyiv has killed 18 people, including Ukraine's interior minister. Istepin Goodfoot has the latest. Three top Ukrainian officials died in a helicopter crash near Kyiv on Wednesday morning. Ukraine's chief of national police announced the death of the minister of the interior, Denis Monarstyrsky, his deputy and his state secretary in a crash that took the lives of 18 people in total, including three children. The cause of the crash is still unclear, but the tragedy comes after a difficult week of mourning for Ukraine, only days after the deadly strike on an apartment building in Dnipro. The death toll still rising, now at 45 people, among whom four children. Ibtisam Genfud, ABC News, Dnipro, Ukraine. And one more story relating to the war in Ukraine. NATO surveillance planes have started arriving at an airbase near Romania's capital, where they are set to undertake regional surveillance missions. Charles de Ledesma has that story. The Airborne Warning and Control System Surveillance Planes, or AWACS, will begin missions that are expected to last several weeks. At the base, Stefan Neumann, the component commander, says the planes will be valuable eyes in the sky. With the airborne early warning and control system, NATO has indeed a powerful, flexible and deployable capability for air and sea surveillance. German diplomat Peer Gebauer adds NATO must stay strong in the face of Russian aggression. This uh, AVEX surveillance mission, which is to start today in Romania, is another proof of our resolve, of our commitment to defend every inch of Allied territory. I'm Charles Duladesma. That's your look at the news. Here come the daily polls. You can vote on the polls at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Yesterday, you were asked, provinces are increasingly privatizing the delivery of health services. How do you feel about that? 8% of you said good, 89% of you said bad, and 3% of you said I do not care. James tweets in at Accessible Media, what would stop a for-profit from charging more and download that onto the patients? An excellent point by James. Always great when James gets involved in the conversation at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook is where you can get involved in the comments as well. Today, having a little bit more fun with the Daily Poll. I've hit you with a lot of serious through the first seven minutes of the show. Let's Take a breath. And there's going to be lots of conversation of outdoor activity as the day moves along. Amy Amanti in the Community Report is going to tell you about a snowshoeing program in Kamloops. We're going to have a pair of ice hockey player talking about a, sl- a sledge skate of hope that's going on right now. So we're going to talk a little bit about your favorite outdoor winter activities. And the question is, what is your favorite outdoor winter activity? And please write in if your favorite is not listed. Here are the options that I've got for you. Skating, skiing. That could be cross-country or downhill. I'll let you decide. Snowshoeing, sledding. Of course, there's also things like snowboarding, which you can include on there, or tubing. Tubing's a good one. The caveat that I'll throw on all of this is I can barely do any of these anymore between my two bad ankles, one bad foot, one bad hip, two bad knees, one bad back, and every other soreness that you can imagine in the history of the world. All of these things may cause an MCL or a PCL to explode. So I don't really know where I land on this. I'm pretty sure if I tried to downhill ski right now, they would just have to follow me around with the emergency medical team just waiting for something to go wrong. But Alex Smythe, what about you? Yeah, so for a long time, I was really into snowboarding, like I did it when I was younger, and I I probably would have done it for at least like 10 or so years, but I had just kind of give it up for a long time just because with my vision, I couldn't quite trust it anymore, and the conditions weren't uh, really favorable for me going out, but then I did it again last uh, year, so last winter, uh, when I was out in the uh, Rockies filming for, for postcards, and I did adaptive a form of it. I had a, a a site guide with me and everything, and I I really struggled with it. It was unfortunate. I I could no longer really tell um, underneath my feet. Like I could see that everything was white and there was the snow there, but I couldn't tell the gradient of it. So it really didn't give me a lot of confidence to really be on the board all that much. So it, it resulted in me falling on my butt a number of times, or sometimes on my face. But uh, so I I would say. In the past, it was definitely snowboarding, but now it would probably be snowshoeing because I really enjoy just getting out, hitting those trails. You still enjoy the snow, the scenery. There's less risk if you fall of, of really hurting yourself because you're not really going at speed, but um, it, it's still nice to get out and and enjoy the great outdoors when you can. 
Yeah, I would find a way to hurt myself. Don't you worry, Alex. I have, uh, I have an innate skill to uh, do damage to my body anytime I fall. My hit points are limited when it really comes down to it. The skiing thing was something that I used to do a lot when I was young, and I quite liked it. The problem is there's a clear ceiling when you're legally blind and trying to ski. And there's programs like the Ski Hawks all across the country that do a great job of guiding people down hills and even some pretty challenging hills when you really get down to it. But as soon as you start bringing in things like moguls, the bumps on the hill, or the glades, the trees on the hill, it can get pretty dicey pretty quickly if you can't see two, three, four turns in advance on what you want to do. So there was a clear ceiling that I hit when it came to skiing. That said, pop me on a blue diamond on a good hill on a nice day, and I'm a happy, happy boy. There, there's a lot that I can do, despite the fact that my body might just explode at this point because I'm a <laughs> little bit out of shape, a little large and in charge over here. But skiing was a great, great activity. The problem is, Alex, there's, there's two things. One, it's very expensive. Whether it simply mm -hmm. be buying the equipment on the front end, it's quite pricey. Number two, much like golfing in the summer, I require someone to get me to the ski hill. I, I can't just walk or take public transit to ski hills unless, of course, you're in Vancouver and you can take the bus to Grouse Mountain. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's one of those other challenges, the, uh, the elements that you have to kind of be aware of, especially for our uh inability to to drive ourselves and and that lack of mobility um and freedom of uh, mobility is is definitely a challenge so you know especially in the gta it's it can be very tough whereas you know you you can find trails you can find uh a skating rinks that are going to be local that are going to be far easier to access than trying to find a, mm -hmm. a good sized hill mm -hmm. that you can go and head out on. But I will say the moguls for me were tons of fun when I was younger, just shooting off them. Don't know if I was going to land on them or not. <laughs> I know you're supposed to dodge them, but I would just like go full bore right into them and just see as, as how much air I could get on my board. Yeah, right as I was hitting that ceiling that I described of skiing, I was starting to get excited a little bit about jumps. Like I enjoyed doing mm -hmm. some jumps and getting a little airborne. I just didn't like the idea of multiple bumps and jumps in, uh, in one short period of time, which oftentimes led to a falling and uh, four-letter words that I can't say on the air. <laughs> Alex, thank you for this. Let's get your opinion out there on social media, at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. What is your favorite outdoor winter activity? Speaking of winter activities, will you have the resources you need to enjoy them? Alex will tell you in the National Weather Updates. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're going to start off on the East Coast where they're still dealing with some wet weather. In St. John's, Newfoundland, the showers off and on today. The wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour and the high is 3 degrees. In Halifax, Nova Scotia, it's cloudy, becoming a mix of sun and clouds. And it will be uh, changing around noontime and the high in Halifax is 5 degrees. To Montreal, Quebec. It is freezing rain, light snow this morning as well, and then it will be coming mainly cloudy in the afternoon. A freezing rain warning is in effect with a high of 2 degrees. In Ottawa, Ontario, it is light snow and possible freezing rain this morning, then clearing up later. The high is zero, but with a wind chill, it feels like minus 8. Here in Toronto, Ontario, it's cloudy with a chance of rain today, and the high is 5 degrees. At Thunder Bay, Ontario, it is cloudy with the chance of snow. Minus 6 is the high, but it's feeling closer to minus 15. In Winnipeg, Manitoba, it is cloudy with a chance of snow. The high is minus 7, but wind chill makes it feel like minus 18. In Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, again cloudy with a chance of light snow or possibly freezing rain. The high is minus 6, but feeling like minus 17 with that wind chill. In Calgary, Alberta, it is sunny, becoming a mix of sun and clouds later on in the day. Zero is the high, but a wind chill makes it feel like minus 11. In Edmonton, Alberta, it is similar conditions. It's sunny, becoming a mix of sun and clouds later. A bit cooler since minus 6 is the high and feeling like minus 17 with that wind chill. Up to Yellowknife Northwest Territories, it is mainly cloudy with a chance of snow. Minus 6 is the high and a wind chill makes it feel like minus 18. Over to Vancouver, BC, 
It is rain this morning, but then it will become a mix of sun and clouds in the afternoon. There is still up to 10 millimeters of rain expected to fall this morning. The high, 8 degrees. And finally, Victoria, BC, where there's rain this morning, and then it's going to become mainly cloudy in the afternoon. The high is 7 degrees. That's our AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, Tyler McGregor from Canada's Para Ice Hockey Team tells you about this year's Sledge Skate of Hope. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It was almost 43 years ago when Terry Fox began his Marathon of Hope. He inspired millions of people, and his legacy is still felt today. One person who's taken that inspiration and turned it into action is Tyler McGregor. Tyler is the captain of Canada's Para Ice Hockey team and the man behind the Sledge Skate of Hope. Hey, Tyler, thank you for making time to be with us today. We're grateful. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So where did the idea for the Sledge Skate of Hope come from? Well, uh, so I'm a cancer survivor myself. I lost my leg to cancer in 2010. And so, you know, Terry Fox has always been an inspiration to me, but that took on a meaning of its own um, when I was faced with a similar circumstance. And so, um, you know, fast forward through my, my chemotherapy protocol and, and the 12 years since, uh, I've always wanted to, to find a way to, to support the Terry Fox Foundation and, and honor Terry's legacy. And, um, you know, I've been on the para hockey team now for 10 years. And so when the pandemic hit and our schedule was essentially canceled, it provided me the opportunity to kind of focus on some passions outside of sport um, and not just um, kind of the day-to-day the -day of training. And so um, I wanted to, to honor Terry's mar marathon of hope and um, the legacy that that's, um, continued and so uh, I look to align a passion of my own and that being um, para hockey and um, and being outdoors uh, my hockey career started on an outdoor rink and so I aligned the two and in my first year doing it I skated 25 kilometers had never really you know skated a long distance before and so um, this year I wanted to, to match the length of a marathon 42 kilometers which is what Terry ran every day and so that's where the inspiration came. And, you know, being that he set out to run across Canada, I wanted to ensure that uh, I tried to do um, something similar and, and landed on doing a marathon in each of the 10 provinces. So it, it started a couple of weeks ago, your journey. So where have you so far gone, skate, uh, gone skating and where do you plan on continue to skate? So as of right now, I've only skated in, in Nova Scotia. I started in Halifax on January 3rd and then, um, we actually just had a training camp last week with the national team. So I have, I've had a little bit of a break to, to focus on hockey, but um, I'm heading out to Calgary on Friday to, to skate in Calgary uh, on Saturday and followed up by um, Invermere, British Columbia uh, on Monday, January 23rd. And so from, for the rest of, of the state, everything's pretty, pretty compact and pretty hectic. Uh, so I'm, I'm doing those two provinces this weekend, and then I'll, I'll have seven more to, to finish off over the coming week. You said that you've done this before. What did you learn from the first experience that you can apply to this skate of hope? Well, I think uh, well, I was fortunate in my first one, um, or first couple, that the weather cooperated. Um, I certainly don't expect that to be the case, especially as I worked my way through the Prairie provinces. Um, I think, so I've, I've obviously acquired all the necessary gear for that. Um, you know, I, I think my body just learned a lot about what, what to expect really, um, you know, how to prepare. I was pretty much at the carb load prior to, to doing it. Um, and then what I found especially is, you know, it's especially tough on, on my shoulders. And, and my hands as well, you know, you know, playing hockey, you're kind of used to short bursts of energy and um, your hands are up and down your stick, whereas skating for about three hours straight, they were gripping the ends of my sticks for a long time. And so uh, my, my hands were just full of blisters after. 
so I'm I'm better prepared for that, and I'll I'll have a better idea of how to how to properly prevent and and treat that after. Uh, but just things like that, and and just trying to stay warm. How does your body feel as you're approaching that 30th or 32nd kilometer on one of these skates? Oh, at that point, you're just ready for it to be over. Um, <laughs> you know, like your body starts to get sore even even around like kilometer 20, 25, and it just continues to get worse. Um, so, so I think at that point, the end's in sight, but you're, you're pretty tired, pretty sore. Uh, and so you're kind of just, just trying to grind through the, the last 15 or so, or 10, 12 or so kilometers. Um, and so that's when it gets, you know, physically demanding, but also you know, that's when like the, the mental aspect really starts to kind of creep in and, and you have to, um, find a way to, to push through. In, in those moments when the physical challenge is giving way to the mental fortitude, does that, does that inspire some kind of empathy or connection to what you feel perhaps what Terry Fox was going through as he was going through his marathon of hope? Absolutely. And, you know, I've experienced that both times, just, you know, kind of in the moment reflecting on what he was able to do. And, you know, like, I just talked about, like, how, how difficult it was at moments. And, and I just found myself thinking and reflecting about he did that every single day for however many days, um, ran over 2,500 kilometers on a prosthetic leg in, in 1980 when the technology was nowhere near what, what I have or we have today. Um, all while not really knowing that he, he was still dealing with cancer. And so, you know, amongst, and, and within that as well, I'm seeing these photos circling through here. Um, he was so active within the community as, as the Marathon of Hope built, built up steam. And so, so much respect and so much admiration for the athletic accomplishment of, of just doing that alone. And so, um, yeah, like I, I, I felt that certainly that there was just a newfound respect and admiration for what he was able to do. As people with disabilities, we oftentimes can be trepidatious about using the word inspire, but it's so clear that Terry Fox has inspired generations of people to give back and to serve their community. What are you hoping to inspire through your journey, through your skate, mar your, your skate marathon of hope? Well, there's so many layers to it, and I think that's one thing. I, I, and, and you know, Terry Fox inspired that in me the the ability to just be completely selfless and and to give to others and to serve others. I think um, you know both Terry Fox and and both my family have inspired that in me, and I hope to share that with others. Um, and then especially as, as someone with a disability, I, I hope to advocate and to bring awareness to, um, to people with disabilities and to, and to Parasport, which I'm obviously, or have been, you know, so fortunate to be a part of over the past 10, 12 years. And, you know, on another level, like one of the things that's so important to me and one of the things that Terry Fox did so, so tremendously well was to just build community and to just um, enjoy the, the beautiful country that we have and, and all the different people around the world and to celebrate those differences. Um, and so, you know, like there's, there's just so many, so many different layers to, I guess, what Terry Fox was able to inspire in us all and, and what I hope to, um, to honor as well and to, and to inspire in others. Tyler, where can people go to follow along with your journey? But even more importantly, where can they go to support your journey? There's a number of different um, avenues, I guess. Through my social media is kind of where I'll document the journey. That's Tyler McGregor 08, or Tyler McGregor 8, sorry. Um, and then my website is sledgeskateofhope.com. That'll have all the event info, dates, locations, um, a little bit about my story. And then there's a link to, that'll take you to the donation page, which is set up directly through the Terry Fox Foundation. 
Um, and so all that information is on sledgegateofhope.com. Tyler, congratulations on all your athletic success. Thank you for taking time today and telling us about the Sledge Skate of Hope. All the best with the rest of your journey with training camps, and hopefully we get a chance to uh, connect with you again down the line. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me and appreciate the, uh, the support on every level. So, um, no, it's been my pleasure. That's Tyler McGregor, the captain of Canada's para ice hockey team, telling you about the Sledge Skate of Hope. Coming up next, Shiny Saravanamuthu will share her experience with the house hunting process. As you know, real estate, Canada's number one pastime. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minute. Strength in the energy, utility and industrial sectors helped Canada's main stock index post a small gain in Tuesday trading. Toronto's TSX index closed 67 points higher yesterday at 20,457. New York's Dow Jones average tumbled 391 points and the Nasdaq added 15 points. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index surged 652 points or 2.5% after Japan's central bank kept its lax monetary policy unchanged. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 74.82 cents U.S. It appears while some of Canada's major pension funds have made significant improvements in responding to the climate crisis, they are still falling short overall. A report by the advocacy group Shift Action for Pension Wealth and Planet Health shows a high level of inconsistency among the 11 pension funds evaluated and finds they're lacking compared with some international peers. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Talking about real estate is probably the number one pastime in Canada. It's a serious pastime because finding an appropriate place to live, you know, that's important. It's also a fun pastime because you can fantasize about living your best life. Shiny Saravanamuthu is going through the house hunting process and Shiny can share some of that experience with you. Hey, good morning, Shiny. Good morning, how are you? I'm well, always nice to chat with you. So Shiny, you've been living in the same neck of the woods and the uh, west of Montreal for a while. Why'd you decide to try and find a new place? So I live in Brodroy, Quebec, which is like a 20-minute car ride from the west island of Montreal. I moved here before COVID with my sister. We bought a place. And so as... Uh, some of you might know I am getting married this year, so my fiancé and I are looking for our own place. So uh, we're looking for a place, so that involves us, my sister and I, selling our current home in order to be able to find our new home. So my new home with my fiancé and my sister's condo with herself. Mm. So, Shiny, you, as you mentioned, live in Vaudreuil, west of the West mm-hmm. Island. So, like, I would call that a pretty mm-hmm. deep suburb, if not, like, even, like, the suburb yes. of a suburb. <laughs> you work downtown. Yes. What are you looking for mm-hmm. in a neighborhood now? So, I want to go back to the West Island. So, that brings me back, uh, like, 20 minutes uh, closer to downtown, you can say. Because right now, I'm 45 minutes away from downtown by car and an hour and a half by commute. Oof. So, yeah, so one way. So uh, I want to go back to where I grew up in the West Island to be closer to my family and be closer to our jobs and just so thinking future-wise, having in-laws and parents close by when we have kids is a plus, especially with daycare. So I want to go back to the West Island. So Beaudroy housing is a bit cheaper for New York construction. Now we're going back to the West Island where homes are older and more expensive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Shiny, anybody who follows you on Instagram knows that you are someone with an incredible aesthetic taste. You have remarkable, <laughs> remarkable taste. I'm curious though, you mentioned as you're going back into the West Island, that means probably yeah. not buying a new build, but moving into a place yeah. that's already existing. So do you have renovation plans, a chance to put your shiny magic all over it? Or do you want to get a place where you can turn the key and move in that day and not worry about anything? In an ideal world, I would love it to be an old home that has been renovated and modern, you know, has good finishing. But nowadays with this market, people aren't really renovating than selling. It's kind of just like we're going to sell and get whatever we can at this point. So 
uh, ideally a home that has the least amount of renovations needed also because I'd rather just pay for the house, put that on the mortgage, and whatever we have in savings goes into our wedding. So it is tricky when you have a wedding and a home oh all gosh. happening at the same time, oh. right? So that's why. Those are the different factors in my case. Uh, someone who, also in my case, I also have a home that I need to sell in order to be able to purchase a new home. If I was living at my parents and had that money in my bank account for a down payment, it'd be a lot easier to go make an offer on a home and be like, here's my cash and have the offer accepted right mm. away, right? Yeah. The, so there's a lot There's a lot going on in the market now. So. The, there's some dominoes that maybe they don't quite tell yeah. you about when you buy a place. I know when, yeah. I, when I moved to Toronto, I found it to be a very stressful experience because I had a sense of what I wanted and mm-hmm. and my parents rightfully were like, hey, look at what rent costs, look at what you can afford in a down payment. Yeah, like there makes some sense to buy a place. But what you don't kind of consider is when your real estate agent calls you on a Sunday afternoon and says, hey, the offer has been accepted on the your offer has been accepted on this place. You're now a homeowner. By the way, they need a certified check tomorrow for X thousands of dollars. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to yeah, go no, have a very awkward cool. conversation at the bank. Yeah, and like all the little costs that people don't prep you for, like the welcome tax, the notary bills, um, inspection. I know in Toronto, I know the market's a little hot, so some people don't, their offer is that, well, we won't do an inspection, but in Montreal, the market's so slow that you still need to do an inspection. So those are little costs that you have to allocate for and save on the side because Mm -hmm. it's not going to be a part of your market, Mm -hmm. right? So just... Yeah, it's... it's a have lot. cash on you of some sort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they definitely, definitely, you need a little bit of cash flow to do this whole thing. Uh, Shiny, yeah. let, let's go back to the idea of fantasizing, though, because what you and I are talking about yeah. are, like, the logistics of being an adult. But this is an opportunity yeah. to think about the kind of place where you want to have a future and raise your future family and, like, yeah. live your happiest life. So exactly. what's a feature you look for in a house? For me, I'm a sucker for a finished basement. I'm so light-sensitive that putting me in the subterranean, like, the dark dwellings... Yeah. I'm such a happy guy. I'm like a bear in a bear cave in a finished basement. But what about you? What's a feature you're looking for in a house? Yes, finished basement, 100%, because if it's already done, you're saving yourself about 20 grand of not doing it out of your pocket, right? And obviously, you want the lighting. You want to be able to picture the home when it's already done. When it's not done, it's really hard to picture and see if this is the home you want to go forward with. So I think when you have a finished basement that's bright, that has the lights, you can picture better. And for us who are visually impaired, bright basements are the way to go. So when you see a basement that is not done, I'm just like, no, not attracted. Don't want to go here, you know? Um, staircases play a huge role for me when looking into houses. Uh, least amount of stairs, the better. So I think that's where we're um, having a bit of trouble right now is because there's a lot of two-story homes that you could find with, like, huge stairs and people would love them, you know? But in my case, with RP, it's and looking to the future of having kids I don't want to have stairs and hold a baby and struggle you know especially if I'm home alone so there's little things that I need to look at uh lighting luckily is like if you go into a home and you notice like oh it's not that great it's, it's something that can be changed right but like stairs and the structure bring you from one floor to another you can't really shorten the staircase let me throw some features so, at you let me let me throw some features at you shiny and you tell me yay or nay Okay. Heated bathroom floor. If it's there, yay. <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. We're working on the assumption that it's already existing. It's already there. Uh, big, yeah. big finished, beautiful kitchen. Yes, a big kitchen counter. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, you're a baker, so how many uh, how many stoves and ovens are we looking at? Do you want one of those kitchens with like the th- the three four stoves? No, I don't need too many stoves. I just need to have a confectional oven. Just, I just need a confectional oven that can help my baking get done properly all the way through, and we're good to go. Uh, I'm not picky with the. What about a pool or a hot tub? Honestly, um, I'm like, if it's there and it's like an added, and if everything else in the house is beautiful, I'll take it. But I'm not going to go in and be like, well, I don't want this house because there is no pool. It is a lot of maintenance and thinking future wise with kids. I would ideally want to pull after the kids are a bit older so the danger part of them like drowning or jumping in is kind of not there so 
You yeah, are, if it's you, an added bonus, I'll take it. You are not, a, no. You're a very pragmatic person, Shiny. I appreciate it. I like it. I, <laughs> I like the way you're thinking about these things. What about a big yard, big backyard? Yes, 100%, yes. Who's going to mow the lawn, you or your partner? Uh, probably my partner. <laughs> <laughs> Already an effective division of labor. I like that. Okay, yeah, Shiny, yeah. this this one, like, it, it might sound a little strange, but it's something that I'm noticing more and more as I go through my favorite hobby of looking through Realtor.ca. The laundry, okay. the laundry machine and the dryer, are we putting that on the main floor, on the top floor, or the basement? See, if it's on the main floor... I'm already going down a flight of stairs to do that, right? So I'd rather just put it in the basement where, like, no one sees it. But if you can get it on the same floor as your bedroom, do it. Oh, but yeah. Especially for us, for those of us who are visually impaired and don't want to do stairs and don't want to lug, and especially you don't want to lug, too. If you can get it on the main floor as, the, as your room and everything, like the same room, uh, so I guess that would be the top floor where your room is, do it because it's so much easier, less lugging and if you want your in the future your kids to help they just have to bring it from their room and put it in too right so i think top floor same floor as your bedroom is ideally great i don't know shiny it sounds like you and i could start a renovation business here although i'm not capable <laughs> of doing any of the work because i'm on the same i'm on the same page with you as someone whose yeah. laundry hamper is three feet from their laundry machine big big fan although remarkably still bad at doing my laundry efficiently and on time <laughs> And I definitely don't fold my clothes. Uh, Shiny, I, I, I can tell that this is stressing you out a little bit, but more broadly, how are you finding the experience? Honestly, it is stressful. Uh, so as of yesterday, we had an offer on a house, but we lost it because it was a conditional offer and someone else beat us after two months. So I'm back to square one of looking for my future home mm. as it's that night. So it is frustrating, but it is it is what it is. Like I have to wait for my house to get sold completely, like fully, for for whoever I go to to feel comfortable to accept my offer, right? So mm. um, I'm hoping my house gets sold very very soon, that I can have a stress-free process of finding our home. So I'm um, back this weekend looking at a ton of homes again. <laughs> nice. Yeah, there we go. Weekend activities through and through. Yeah. Um, Shiny, just let me say, I know that sometimes sharing like these vulnerable sides of ourselves is not always easy. Yeah. You've talked to us about some of your wedding planning so far, now some of your moving planning. Mm -hmm. Just know we're super grateful for like your constant open Thank bookness you. on this show. <laughs> it's, it's great to kind of live uh, your life through your eyes because my life isn't that interesting. No, that is not true, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> Shiny, thank you for this. Best of luck on the house hunting. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. That's Shiny Saravanamuthu, a columnist based just west of Montreal for now. Coming up next, Amy Amanti stops by the show to tell you about some new inclusive programming that is being offered by the Pacific Training Center in British Columbia. But first, Apple's M2 processing chip is popping up in more devices. Mike Dubusky has details in Tech Trends. 9to5Max Chance Miller says Apple's range-topping laptop isn't getting the standard M2 processor. In the 14 and 16-inch MacBook Pros, it's the M2 Pro and M2 Max chips, which are the newer, higher-performance versions of the M2 chip. That means you'll be able to launch and run programs faster. And speaking of fast, the new MacBook Pro also gets Wi-Fi 6E capability. Which is sort of this next-generation Wi-Fi technology, and Apple says it can be up to twice as fast as the Wi-Fi technology used in the old 14 and 16 inch machines. One thing that isn't changing though is the looks. You have the same selection of ports on either side, the same display, the same two silver and space gray colors. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. The Pacific Training Center for the Blind in British Columbia is hosting a series of training programs this year. Here to tell you all about them is community reporter Amy Amanti in Vancouver. Hey, good morning, Amy. How are you? 
Hey, good morning, Dave. I'm doing I'm doing good. A little soggy out here in the Vancouver area, but other than that... That's uh, winter in Vancouver for you. Uh, umbrella ready. Um, always. Umbrella and rain jackets on the ready. Amy, let's talk about the Pacific Training Centre and what they have on offer here. What are some of the opportunities they have coming up? Yeah, the, um, the Pacific Training Centre for the Blind was started by Elizabeth Lalonde and is uh, located... Uh, well, it used to be located on Vancouver Island and now has moved to Camp Owen with a partnership. Uh, so still on an island, but uh, that's okay. Um, <laughs> it's, it's an island that's easier to get to for what it's worth if you're living in Vancouver. Do you know what's funny? I have a friend who always says, I live on an island in the Pacific to make it sound much more glory. It is. It's an island in the Pacific. Um, so whether it's, it's Vancouver a very short or ferry, It's a very short ferry ride, though, only about 20 minutes. Yeah, to Bowen Island, it's, you're right. It's a very short ferry ride. So that's that's a plus for anybody who's coming over from the mainland and or flying in from other provinces in the in the country and then uh, going to the, the training center. So the training center is, uh, is a live-in training center. They do offer several different types of programs. Um, I know, I remember there was one time that they were offering a program where you like lived there for a year and you did a homestay uh, when they were back on Victoria. And it's really a place where you can, you know, for all intents and purposes, let's say you've lost your sight or maybe Maybe you were born without your sight and um, you didn't feel like you got the skills that you needed in order to be like a successful independent person. So you can visit the training center and they will do like a deep dive in Braille and they'll do a deep dive into things that you need to know just to survive like your basic day as being a person without your sight, you know, cooking tips and, um, you know, sewing tips, laundry tips, as you were just said, Dave, doing your laundry, all of the things we kind of, you know, as somebody like myself who acquired a sight loss took for granted that I could do when I could see yeah, and then Amy, had to change Amy, how I did Amy, it. Amy, I, I cannot blame my lack of doing laundry efficiently on my disability, though. It's laziness and my laziness is not a disability. I could say that maybe I had the same, I'm going to call it an affliction, la the laundry affliction, Dave. That's the only <laughs> word time you'll hear me use that word. Uh, the laundry affliction before I acquired my disability myself. So um, you and I are kind of speaking the same language on that one. So, uh, but, but here we go. Um, uh, I suppose that if you wanted to learn the tips about, you know, I know how to put tactiles on your laundry, things that maybe you just didn't know you needed to know. But that's where the, the Pacific Training Center comes in. And I would also say it's a great opportunity to connect with other blind folks. It seems like it's an independent living skills crash course in a, in a, it, in a different environment. Yeah, it kind of is. And I think part of the philosophy is, is that a little bit like with guide dog training to a certain extent, you know, taking you out of an environment that you're familiar with so that you can learn these skills means that you are focused on just that thing instead of when you're at home and you're like, oh, shoot, you know, I got to check the mail and oh, shoot, I've got like all of the other things that you have to do in your own home that sort of get in the way of the learning path. Mm. So I think that that's part of the reason. Plus, like you're immersed in the environment with with, you know, somebody who can specifically give you these types of tips and tricks, the, the life hacks of being blind. Where can people go to find more information? Well, they have a pretty incredible website that people can go visit to get more information. Um, and then I think probably one of the best ways to do that is simply by telephone um, because they're also blind folks and they like to answer the telephone. <laughs> so um, I love that. If you're calling and you live in the Metro Vancouver or area or on Bowen Island, it's a 604 number and it's 604-947-0021. But they also have numbers for the greater Victoria area and a toll-free number as well. Um, I could give you those but I know they'll be on your blog. It, it, it'll just sort of roll off people's brains if we read them it out will. right now. AMI.ca slash now, AMI.ca slash now. All those numbers will pop up. And I, I'll fire off the website real quick here too because it's actually fairly easy. PacificTrainingCenter.ca, PacificTrainingCenter.ca. That's almost as easy as AMI.ca slash now, but but not quite. A few more a few <laughs> more I don't, there. Except I now I don't remember what it was. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Amy, let's uh, go from... Uh, Bowen Island to mm -hmm. the interior another organization in BC that serves the community is blind beginnings and they're hosting a snowshoe event in Kamloops Amy this seems pretty straightforward but what's going to make this snowshoe event so special yeah, you're right. It does seem pretty straightforward, Dave. Um, what's nice about this is that Blind Beginnings, of course, offers programming to uh, families and youth and children and siblings who are blind and also sighted, right? So if you have two kids and one of them's blind and one of them isn't, you have to have programming that can work for both of your children, right? Because uh, we don't want to segregate families and children from each other. Also a great opportunity to connect with other families who are maybe going through some of the same things that your family might be going through. And because there are very few children um, 
spread outside of the metro vancouver area i will say they're kind of like spread out there's a couple here a couple of there it makes mm. it hard sometimes to bring a group of people together yeah um so this of course is set in kamloops which is outside of the metro vancouver area about six hours by drive ish something like that four to six hours um and and this is an opportunity for folks to do all of the traditional snowshoeing stuff up at uh, sun peaks which i have skied there before and it's a fantastic place to ski although i will say i was a sighted person the last time i was there so i don't really know how it might have changed <laughs> over the years but i do know that my skiing skills are not the same yeah alex um, alex and i were talking about that earlier in the hour how when you are legally blind or you go through a vision loss there tends to be a little bit of a ceiling when it comes to the skiing experience the glades and the moguls kind of get factored out Yes, that is that is very true. And just the quality of the snow, you know, sometimes when you hit those little icy patches or the, the fluffy white stuff yeah, and, and yeah. not being able to tell right away what's coming, eh, that can change how <laughs> maybe how 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 strong a snowplow I use or not. <laughs> um, so there you go. I often you have to tell uh, remind me, Dave, to tell you a funny story at some point about two blind guys that ski. So I'll, okay. I'll share that another okay. time. All right. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> but we'll get, back to, yeah, we'll, we'll get back to snowshoeing. snowshoeing. Yes. Because I've never snowshoed before. Have you snowshoed, Dave? Uh, yes. I've never done this before. So I understand that it's like a really large kind of shoe that's a little bit like uh, some netting at the bottom of your feet. And it, it keeps you on top of the snow as best as possible so you don't sink deeply mm -hmm. into it. Um, which is great if you are, um, you know, in, in feet and feet of snow. But like all the other things that surround snowshoeing are the social things, like the hot chocolate with the marshmallows afterwards. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, what we would call that après ski. We talked about that once, didn't we, with hot tubs? Like yep, that's more sure fun have. than the actual skiing these days. <laughs> so all of the après snowshoe stuff is going to be included. Um, and I think that that's part of the the fun of it all. So I hope people get out and, and take advantage of our winter, our winter sports weather. When's this one taking place? Ah, this one is taking place. Um, oh, I have it. I, I'm sorry, sorry. I, th I thought you may have had it in front of you. I've got it right here. I've got it right here. Let me, yeah, let, January let, let me 22nd. Yeah, we go. January 22nd, 1 yeah. p.m. Pacific time. You got it. 1 p.m. Pacific time. <laughs> now, I did notice that they didn't put an end time on this. So I thought that that was kind of cute because um, Apre Snowshoe might include hot chocolate with marshmallows and a little something extra if you're a parent. Yeah, maybe, maybe, <laughs> a, little, maybe a little Bailey's Irish cream in that coffee, too, that hot chocolate maybe. to go a little extra. I, I will... I won't say that that's a blind beginnings offering because no, that would be no, no, no. in poor, in no, poor taste no, no. of me. But um, that stranger would, things have happened. That would never be sanctioned. But but you know, every now and then someone might bring a little flask in their ski in their ski coat. That's why they make ski coats with the zippered up pockets inside. Uh, blind blindbeginnings.ca blindbeginnings.ca and again January second, one p.m. Pacific time. And uh, we'll make sure again. Twenty second. Twenty uh, second. What did I say? Second January twenty second. You're now you're talking in the past. Um, well, you know me. Time travels my thing. Uh, January twenty second, one p.m. Pacific time. And uh, that one again. More information on the blog after the show. Ami.ca/slash/now. Sticking with blind beginnings, they've got a trivia night coming up. What do people need to know? Well, of course, how do you pay for all of these uh, events that are happening, right? Because the families aren't asked to pay for them, um, rightly so. So they do a fundraiser, and the trivia night is back. They used to do an annual trivia night. I remember helping organize these trivia nights when I worked with Blind Beginnings. They are a super ton amount of fun. Like, you can't, you can't put a... You can't quantify the amount of fun that this is. Um, so we're doing a trivia night on... Um, at, at local pub, Mooses Down Under Pub on January the 28th. The doors open at 7 p.m. Uh, sorry, 6 p.m. And the trivia starts at 7 p.m. So you're going to get all of the like traditional things like raffle tickets and um, some extra prizes and raffle baskets and all sorts of games that they kind of play that you obviously pay to, to play the game in order to just raise funds, which is uh, one of the greatest things that you can do to help support some of these grassroots organizations. Tickets are 35 bucks. So that's totally affordable for a night out. Uh, Mooses Down Under usually provides you with some appetizers for the table, but of course you can buy yourself dinner if you'd like or or beverages. And uh, it's it is exactly what it sounds like, Dave. It is trivia, rounds of trivia. The smartest table wins, essentially. <laughs> well, that obviously, obviously, trivia night is is clearly just a measurement of IQ. It has nothing else to do with the collaboration, cooperation, and educated guesses. Never, never at all. Uh, Amy, have you ever been on the MC side of trivia? Obviously, you've got a great stage presence. You're a great communicator. Mm. Have you ever been a trivia master? 
You know, I have not been a trivia master. I, I've had opportunity to do it, but usually what I do when I organize trivia nights and fundraisers is I'm the person that's there hours in advance, setting up all the raffle prizes, right. organizing them at home, putting the baskets together, printing out the, the raffle sheets and the auction sheets and, uh, you know, the door prize names and, and, and running all of the... I don't know what you call that, but all of the minutia that happens around so that the event looks really seamless. Yes. Um, someone has and to, I don't someone get to has, play. Someone has to do logistics. Someone has to do logistics or else, uh, or else there is no trivia nights. Yeah. Fire, you know, troubleshooting stuff when like tables didn't get their appetizers or those kinds of things and or looking over at another table and said, well, how come they got fries and we didn't, right? <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> let's troubleshoot this because fair is fair. So <laughs> that's usually my role is to, to, to do all of the prep leading up to including like venue, um, you know, talking to venues and making sure they're accessible and all that kind of good yeah. stuff. And Moose's is really great. They're a go-to local pub here in uh, Vancouver that many blindness organizations uh, have partnered with because they, they, totally give back to the community and um and have a, a wonderfully great place that people are really familiar with getting to like close to a sky train so yeah absolutely it's all great yeah great location cool pub fun night yeah. seems like a good plan saturday january the 28th doors open 6 p.m trivia begins 7 p.m eastern time i already gave you the website but i'll give it to you one more time blindbeginnings.ca blindbeginnings.ca and if you didn't write that down fast enough ami.ca slash now hey amy thank you for this have a great day hey you too dave that's amy manti community reporter in vancouver british columbia i'll give you that blog address one more time ami.ca slash now just before we wrap up the hour i've got one more news story for you this one is interesting. It's not quite climate change, but I'm pretty sure you'll be able to find the connecting thread. Residents of an Arizona suburb are suing the city that traditionally supplied them with water. Homeowners in Rio Verde foothills sued Scottsdale last week, demanding that access to the city's water supply be restored to some 500 homes in the community. Scottsdale officials say the city needs to guarantee there's enough water for its own residents. Amidst a drought, Scottsdale turned off its long-standing water supply into the community on January 1st, calling the cutoff permanent. Several hundred residents are now using up the last of the water that haulers delivered in late December to the 5,000-gallon tanks buried in their yards. This one's going to be uh, taken before the court as it goes, but as you continue to hear stories about climate change, don't forget about the importance of water. Fresh water is going to be a big, big deal as the climate sands continue to shift. And coming up in the second hour of the show, we'll be talking about that with Arno Kopecki, environmental journalist based in Vancouver, about the UN Biodiversity Conference that took place in Montreal, but also about the push and pull between protecting green spaces and building more housing. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.